0: Thanks for joining us here at NapaBroadcasting.com as we spend some time today on location at the Napa Valley Writers' Conference, now in its 39th year and in the midst of an incredibly successful week. ...at the Upper Valley Campus of Napa Valley College. I'm joined today by three guests here at the conference. Angela Newman, who is the executive director of the Napa Valley Writers Conference... ...as well as a successful author in her own right. I'm also joined by Iris Dunkel, who was recently the poet laureate of Sonoma County. She teaches at Napa Valley College and is currently the Poetry Director of the Napa Valley Writers' Conference. And it is my honor to be joined by Forrest Gander, whose recent poetry collection, Be With, was the winner of the 2019 Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. He is a translator, essayist, and frequent collaborator with many other artists. It is my pleasure to be joined by Angela. Iris and Forrest, thanks so much for being here. I appreciate it. Angela, I want to start with you as the executive director of the conference. Talk a little bit about the history of this conference now in its 39th year, about Dave Evans, who was the founder of the conference, and a little bit more about its history.
1: The conference was started when Dave Evans in the Valley retired, and
0: he had run the, the Iowa
1: Writers' Workshop. For years and had come to napa valley i believe because he was friends with renee de rosa i believe that's how he ended up in napa valley which is an interesting connection in and of Indeed. itself uh i think jack leggett was on the fateful trip uh when veronica de rosa died but i'm not 100 percent certain about that um napa valley lore and so Jack is the one who added fiction to the Writers' Conference and ran it for many years. And then the second director was Anne Evans. And she ran the conference for thirteen years. No relation to Dave Evans, mm-hmm. the first the first director. And then um Andrea Bewick took it over shortly after that. And then I believe I'm the fourth director. And it's just been wonderful. We've grown, uh, to fill up this campus, we have four fiction workshops, four poetry workshops, and this year, first ever workshop in translation. Which, Woo! I, I know, <laughs> which is both poetry and prose. This year, from any language, it's it's sort of um, an open model. The pieces are workshopped in English, but they can be translated from any language, and the discussions around different approaches to translation and questions from craft to ethical issues that come up when you're translating the work of other writers. I'm really excited to add that to the conference because it's it's wonderful to help people who want to be writers and are writers of their own work, but it's also really neat to add to the conference an element of deep reading and investment in the work of others, and I think that makes for a nice balance.
0: There are certainly lots of conferences that go on around the country all the time. You mentioned... The, the granddaddy of them all, I suppose, the Iowa Workshop, what is it that is unique, do you think, to this one in NaPA, and what's sustained it for so many years
1: i think I think it has to be said that the destination is pretty nice. I mean, Iowa Writers Workshop is an m f a program, and people come uh to that to that program for two years, and Iowa is a pretty reasonable place to live, and of course, the faculty is off the chart. Um, e- excellent there, and they draw the, you know, the finest faculty. We actually draw a lot of our faculty from the oh, Iowa well. workshop, including Sam Chang who comes back every year and is the director of that right. workshop. But I think people enjoy coming to Napa Valley. Many of our events are at wineries, um, but that's a background even to the quality of our faculty and the fact that we keep the workshops very small, 12 oh. or 13 tops every year in each workshop. So that means there's a fairly small student to faculty ratio, and we also hang out a lot with faculty. We also decided to narrow the focus of the conference to craft, and that's happened in the last. We've always been uh, we've um uh, we've always been um, focused on craft, but we've stopped inviting agents and editors to the conference and instead focusing just on the production of work and the things that um, the questions that arise and uh, around process and um inspiration and vision and i think that makes us stand out i uh, other other conferences have moved a little more in the direction of including the sort of business aspect business of writing right. and I, I, we we really made our decision uh, based on the feeling that 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 sort of intrudes quickly enough in the writer's life and creates many of its own problems and to to sort of foster a week where People don't have to think about that and also don't have to deal with the element of competition that introduces among writers. Because as soon as you introduce an agent, you know, people are vying for time with the agent and comparing what the agent says, you know, to like they might say to Iris, I really want your book of poetry. And they might say to me and you, not so much. So, (laughs) you know, all of a sudden you start to feel some sort of way about what you're doing, which,
0: you know, there's time for that. Right. But it's not here. Iris, talk a little bit about the poetry side of this. We hear a lot about the the fiction part of workshops. Talk a little bit about poetry from your perspective as uh, the former poet laureate in Sonoma County and also somebody that teaches here at Napa Valley College and the importance of having that as part of this workshop.
2: Sure. Um, It's, you know, what we have here is called a generative workshop. That means that everyone who comes here comes to write a poem a day. So it's it's a it's a it's a harrowing but amazing experience. Um everyone who signs up for the conference leaves with five poems that they've most mostly have workshopped. Um and it's it's a real gift. It means people want to come back again and again um to repeat that experience. Um but what's really what's really become special um as a you know, I I teach at the college, um, I teach creative writing at the college and um I've gotten to see some of my students uh, move through, um, you know, introduction to creative writing, intermediate creative writing, advanced creative writing. And some of them are here. Like one of my students is in forest workshop this time um, as one of our uh, local scholarship winners. And it's, it's really amazing to see that kind of growth. Um, We also have a um, awards series that we offer at the college called the Jessamyn West award, because the, um, the founder of Napa Valley College was, was married to Jessamyn West, the, the writer, and um, they left a, an endowment that allows us to give awards to both high school and college-age students. And um, those students get to come to um, the workshops in order to they, – they don't come to the workshops, but they come to the craft talks and the readings. And this whole week we've had one of the local high school students here watching these amazing craft talks from these like Pulitzer Prize-winning writers.
0: That's a perfect opportunity to bring Forrest into this conversation. Forrest, talk a little bit about what you see in the students and the expectations of those that come to these workshops.
3: Well, that's why it's fun to be here, because the students are so good, because the, um, the conference is so esteemed. They get a lot of applications, and, um, and the people who come here, the people in my class are really talented. And, um, and yet the aesthetic range is very diverse, so the conversations are very interesting, and, um, and it teaches me because people are approaching poems from so many different directions, some different trajectories. It actually expands my ways of, um, of feeling and reading and experiencing uh, the poetry, and it's fun to be around you know, it's my tribe. It's a lot of smart, <laughs> talented people.
0: What do you think the students are expecting from you?
3: Um, I I think that they're hoping for um, a kind of engagement that um, helps them gain insights in um, in their uh, movement as as artists, as writers. And so it's very personal, and we meet with each student individually as well as in class, and there's enough time to, for everyone to talk. So we get to know um, the, the so-called teachers, get to know um, the students, many of whom are also teachers, um, in, a, in a, um, a, a real way. It's not just uh, some kind of surficial relationship.
0: Is it different for poetry in terms of a young poet, a young student's ability to learn and what they want to learn and need to learn? You know, with, with fiction, it's different. Everybody has, or everybody that wants to be a writer, has that manuscript or part of a manuscript somewhere. Is it different with poetry in terms of teaching it, in terms of working with young poets?
3: Um, so... Th- uh, the poets here aren't just young poets, of course. They're right. You know, they, I, I just got through a conference with a 73-year-old um, whose, uh, whose work is really interesting, and she's interested in documentary poetics. She's using uh, historical documents in, to help sort of construct um, passionate poems that are, feel very contemporary. The young poet, and so that poet, for instance, has a long history of... Um, Of interests which she now researches Mm -hmm. younger poets um, often don't have their subject matter yet Um, in some cases it's given to them that something a a wound that they've suffered an illness a relationship with um, with other people or a a certain person that's their subject matter but a lot of young poets are still they're exploring techniques. They're expanding their wingspan, and um, and they're looking for the subject matter that um, will will not just be um, uh, um, not just be uh, topical, but will um, will involve their soul.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask both you, Forrest, and and Iris after that, in terms of raw seeing raw talent versus somebody that that wants to do it badly, that may not come to it with the same kind of innate talent and how that's different.
3: Yeah, that's such an interesting question. Um, In some cases, I mean, in my class I have right now, I have people with obvious talent and people that are um, really good at reading poems and understanding how they work and talking about them, articulating them. It's curiously not always the people with the most talent who become the best poets because it takes a lot of uh, endurance (laughs) and you have to be able to survive all of the rejections and all of the wrong turnings and some people can't do that. And and other people who can sometimes develop later than the early signs of talent that show in poets that, don't have the endurance
0: iris your thoughts on this you do this every day day in and day out
2: yeah i think i think it's a really um interesting question as well because um poetics is just like um, any other genre where you have to learn the craft um and there are um i remember when i went to get my mfa when i was really young i went straight to new york city to nyu and Uh, studied with all these great writers and there were these really talented people in my class I was like wow these people are going to just skyrocket you know and after our MFA program many of them just stopped writing and what what Forrest just said the idea that it's it's a game of endurance I mean really the the idea of who's going to end up to be um who's going to publish books who's going to um get the awards who, are, you know, obviously talent is very important to that, but it's also you have to sit down every day and know that you're going to get rejected. I mean, I aim for at least a hundred rejections a year. Um, it's a goal of mine so that I can get myself out there. And I tell my students that because a lot of times people think, Oh, it's poetry. I'm a, I'm, I feel it. I'm going to sit down, I'm going to write it and then it's going to get published and it's going to be a book. And then, you know, next thing you know, you're, you know, You've got a Pulitzer, right? But um, it's a totally different um, game. And um, it's really all about um, creating a creative writing community where you feel lifted up enough that you can continue to create and you can continue to um, feel like what you have to say is important. And I just wanted to add that it's really important here. Um, You know, something we do is we offer scholarships because not everyone has the privilege of of being able to spend a week here, you know, to afford to spend a week here and write. And um, it's the same thing with my students. You know, many of them haven't had the opportunity in their lives to have time to write. And so it's really wonderful when you see people come here or you see people in your class that, you know, I mean, I've had people who have just gotten out of prison or who, you know, these these extreme circumstances where they just weren't able to um, connect with a community. And they just blossom in front of you. And it's such an
0: amazing thing to watch. Angela, talk a little bit about how many applicants you get every year that want to participate in the workshop. We
1: accept um, about between 98 and 110, depending on if we're offering a ninth workshop. And I'd say we get at least twice that many, often two and a half times or closer to three times that many applicants. It's interesting uh, to see how many this year are returning. Once you've been accepted, I think within the last three years you don't have to apply again with work. You're, you've already been accepted as far as the level of your work, and you just will bring new work to workshop. Um, and we've we actually are ha- saw our application pool grow quite a bit this year. I think we very um, strategically, I'd say, put together three relevant panels at AWP, and, and AWP is this huge conference. It's a di- in a different city every year, and our faculty quite often attend AWP, so we're able to utilize them on these panels and, then, and really publicize the conference that way. So we had three fantastic panels this year featuring our great faculty, and I think we got a lot of increase in applications from that.
0: First, you've been obviously doing this a while. Talk a little bit about if anything that you've seen change in the nature of, of students that come to these conferences regardless of age or what they hope to get out of it or what the, what it is they want to write about
3: well the um, this this um, poets now as we can understand living in the United States right now are um, are alarmed about. Uh, a lot of things and uh and feel that they've been given the charge as writers to address some of those things you know it's the environment and borders and um and uh the excesses of capitalism um and uh so those are some of the themes that that come up um historical and and political themes but um but you know emotions are what last in art um not ideas uh or emotions as ideas and um and people are writing um all kinds of things from what they feel what they um what i've been hearing from people um in the last few days is how important it is for them who are in their lives all over the country they're coming here from everywhere and they have jobs and they don't get um, responses from many other people about their work. It's a kind of isolation. Poetry can be very insular. You have to spend a lot of time alone. But here they find, again, their tribe, their community, and it feels great um, to be able to bounce off people. And some of them have formed friendships, despite that some live in California and some in St. Louis, two of the people in my class right now They're tight friends, and they, you know, extend the community that started here into the rest of their lives.
0: Forrest, are you seeing more and more focus, more and more of a sense of the arts really having a critical place in the world today, given all the problems that are going on?
3: Absolutely. Yeah, there are a lot of people writing about about ecology and politics Mm -hmm. and history and place and... Um, and the uh, traces of uh, the miraculous ghost, as um, one poet puts it, of the past and the present and um, and so it is very relevant. and I think that's also connected to why, despite that people, according to the latest surveys, are reading fewer books uh, every year, people are actually reading more poetry books. And the young continue to find poetry in this age of, you know, of the spectacle. Um, The young keep finding that poetry touches something in them that spectacle leaves untouched.
0: Iris, shaking your head there, you obviously agree.
2: I completely agree. I have the great privilege of teaching uh, poetry in an eighth grade classroom every year. And there is nobody who can write poetry as easily as an eighth grader because their emotions are like right at the front of their minds. Um, and it, it reminds me, you know, cause I'll bring in like a, um, you know, a, a Yeats, um, so, you know, the, the Lake Isle of Innisfree to them, which is, you know, it's not a, it's a poem that you would think, oh, you know, that why would they want to read? Why would I give them something by Yeats? You know? So it's an Irish po- poet from far away all of them, once you take them through it, just get so involved in the story of the poem and in the length of it, it's, it's a shorter poem and they, they feel completely in it. And then they can turn that, that, that model into a way to talk about their, their unspeakable feelings of, you know, what it's like to be in this differing body of, of puberty or what it's like to be isolated from your friends or what it's like to, you know, I had a lot of students. um, I was a poet laureate during the fires so I worked with a lot, of, a lot of students who lost everything. And this gave, these, you know, these forms give them a way to speak the unspeakable.
0: Forrest, you mentioned young people reading more poetry. What do you think is at the heart of that? Is it about shorter attention span, or is there something else going on?
3: Soul, so, you know, soul-making. Um, that in the intimacy of a relationship with a word on a page, um, that something can happen. That, um, that you're uh, not distracted from by all the dings on your phone and, um, and that people need to be touched at that depth.
0: Forrest, you mentioned it. You were enthusiastic about it when I, when I mentioned it before. Talk a little bit about the translation part of this workshop.
3: Yeah, I think that's a brilliant addition to this uh, conference. That um, The thing Angela um, was saying, I mean, what makes this conference special is what made civilization, you know, that civilization starts with poetry and wine Um, (laughs) in, in every culture. There's not been a single culture that hasn't had some form of, of poetry. And, um, it's an essential, um, human practice for offering our world to others. Um, and wine comes close as a second, um, and now I've forgotten your question
0: <laughs> about the translation
3: and translation, um, especially, so it, famously the United States is one of the countries, um, in which, uh, uh, there are fewer, a fewer, a lower percentage of translations than in almost any other developed country. 3% um, was, um, was what it was a few years ago. Of all the books published in the U S are translations, which is ridiculous. Um, and uh, there's been an increasing attention to the importance of translations, to listening to other people from other places, to understanding that an interest in others is what keeps us from going to war with others, and uh, that other cultures are connected to our culture, that it's all international. And the whole question of borders and what travels across borders is connected with translation. In some ways, I think translation is the master metaphor for the 21st century. It's, they're talking about translation in painting, translation in mathematics, translation in perception. It's, um, it's a theme running through almost every genre, including mathematics. And that this conference, which is the only one I know about, has introduced it as a subject and that it immediately filled with people interested in translation, um, is, uh, is very exciting.
0: Iris talk a little bit about how the translation aspect of the conference works. Is it similar to other areas?
2: Sure. It is. It's similar to, um, how we run a, a fiction workshop. So mm-hmm. each, um, each participant comes in with a project they're working on in translation. Um, and they, they write up a, um, a, you know, an analogy, you know, the, the, the narrative of what they're trying to do. And then they bring in examples of the different texts that they're, um, they're translating. And we have in this workshop, you know, we have people who got a, an NEA, um, grant for translating, um, a Mexican poet. I mean, there are some really gifted translators in this workshop and we have Howard Norman, this incredible translator, um, and a novelist and and memoirist um, who's leading the workshop. Um, And
0: we've only gotten great feedback so far this week. Angela, how did the decision get made to include that as part of the conference?
1: Um, We had Howard here on our fiction faculty last year. And after the conference, um, he and I had a series of conversations about translation. Uh, He has taught translation all over the world. Or the Smithsonian Institute at the University of Maryland in Vienna. I can't even remember all the places he's taught. And he described to me this model that would accommodate. I mean, I was concerned that it would be, I, I wanted to do it, but I was concerned about how we would do it and, and how we would deal with the potential of so many different languages. And he described a model to me that would work with any language and the workshop would, would happen in English and that it could accommodate prose and poetry. And he shared with me some of the things that um he had been working on he was actually teaching a translation course at the time we were talking about this at Maryland and then i i read over his there's a a national endowment of the arts book i can't remember what it's called but it's 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 maybe 20 people talking about translation and it's a, a project and so we, i just sort of considered all the materials and the the big decision uh was if we're going to offer a ninth workshop, would it be in translation or creative nonfiction? And so, uh, as director of the conference, I felt moving moving towards translation would be preferable um, because of the investment in the work of others. I thought, you know, we have, we already have covered, mm-hmm. you know, people writing from uh, their own perspectives. And I, I really think, you know, um, investing in the work of others and, and from from other cultures as well, but even just other other writers, close readings is, is something that really feeds your own work and your own efforts and also just makes, I don't know, is it too broad to say it makes society better? And as Forrest was was saying, if you understand another, it's hard to, to go to war with another. And just um, it just seemed, it just felt intuitively like the right move. And we did a great deal of publicity around it. We, we created... Um, A a postcard. My mother and I actually, my mother came to visit and she and I sat down for six hours and researched every single university that offered courses in translation and targeted them with a specific mailing. Um, We reached out to translation centers all over the Bay Area especially and people, we reached out to our former faculty which is a, a long and distinguished list and asked them to forward all the information about the translation seminar to anyone who would be interested and that's how we we got the interested parties, and we're really excited with the level of people who responded to us. It's been it's been really neat.
0: Forrest, when you were a struggling young poet, did you go to conferences? Were there mentors that you met along the way that you still remember that still influence you to today?
3: No, I was a deprived
1: <laughs> young
3: man raised by wolves.
1: <clears throat>
3: um, no, there were, um, I I didn't know about those things. The first the first uh, sort of literary thing I ever um, went to as a writer was um, I got into Yado. And while I was there, um, my wife was really depressed. My father was dying and, and talking on the phone or just breathing on the phone to me. My dog was run over and um, I decided to leave early. So um, I, didn't, I didn't get to go to these things, but there were fewer of them then.
0: Iris, did you go to any when you were younger?
2: Um, I, I actually did. Um, funny that you ask. I went to uh, uh, Squaw Valley, which is up in um, uh, the Sierra Nevadas, and I got, uh, I was taught by a really amazing teacher named Forrest Gander. <laughs> so um, I i went at a time when, because um, I went and got my MFA and then had to make a living. And so I wasn't able to, I was one of those people that had to work all the time. I was a computer programmer and i didn't have time to write and then i had a family and i still didn't have my book and so i went to squaw valley with all of these poems thinking i'm just going to put my manuscript together and also try to write a poem a day and i was completely overwhelmed and being in these workshops and forming friendships with all these people really opened up to me you know this it, it was a and it opened the gateway to a creative life that had shut down for me for like a decade. And I just had that experience again recently. I did a residency at the Vermont Studio Center, and, uh, which is a different experience. You go with your own project, but it was the same thing where just being around like-minded people, people who are creative in all the arts, not just um, writing, um, just makes you feel like um, inspired every day.
0: Forrest, I want to follow up with you a little about that. You're very involved with people in other areas of the arts. You're supportive of them. You're helpful. Talk a little bit about that aspect of your activities.
3: Well, um, (laughs) you know, um, poetry, uh, being a practicing poet, uh, is uh, or practicing practicing poetry is one of the least predatory practices that you can do. It, It it has to do with um with generosity and articulation and it has to do with communication and so it seems natural that um that collaboration would also be a part of that and um and the people you know people were uh good to me as a young writer in ways that I'll never forget and that I want to pass on to others so i um, I support a lot of um, of other writers and presses and um, and uh in this country and in other countries and I ran a press for thirty years with c d right um, and I collaborate with people and find collaboration um, a social model that interests me of giving up uh some control and um, and finding that uh, interacting with someone else um, allows me to discover parts of myself that I, I wouldn't have gotten to otherwise.
0: And finally, Angela, talk about next year's conference, the 40th anniversary conference. When do you start planning that?
1: We're already planning it. Um, it, it sometimes mm-hmm. seems to our participants, I think that we sort of launch this, you know, in June or get started in June. We actually start planning in uh, September. We have a big planning kickoff meeting in September where we uh, continue choosing faculty because we invite faculty two years in advance, many times, and or we'll invite someone, a, you know, year a year that they won't be able to come, but they'll say I could come the next year. So we have this list to work through of people who who are, you know we've already asked. And so we're, we're working on putting together the faculty for the 40th anniversary. We're really excited. Uh, we can't share those names yet. We, we only have a few on board. Um, and we're, we're interested in working with Napa Valley College, which is our home, about how to, how to really get the word out with the community. And we'll probably um, do some publicity around that and, and really make it a celebration of of the literary life here in Napa Valley, but also the larger literary life. I think this is a real gem, and um, we're excited to have the community involved in every way that we can involve them.
0: Well, that's great. My thanks to the three of you for participating, Angela Newman, Iris Dunkel, Forrest Gander. I wish you all the best with the remainder of the conference, and thanks so much for being here.